With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're following the Constitution to the letter. Now, I was talking about the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. That's the only way the criminal charges can be brought under our Constitution. I don't know if everybody understands that or not. How many people are charged under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment? Virtually nobody. And you understand that the judge has two hats. And he can set as a judicial officer, or he can set as an administrative officer. And so what they do is they file a ticket into court there, so they'll summons you in, they'll say, you've been charged, and then they'll say, how do you plea? Well, now, if you were to make a plea at that time, you have waived what is known as your administrative remedies. Whenever a statute is brought up by citation, you must understand that the statute only addresses issues that has to do with persons, not people. Now, most people don't understand that there is a difference between persons and people. Or they don't understand that our legislature cannot pass laws that affect people, only that which affects persons. So you have to understand, when they pass a statute, it is to regulate persons, not people. Now you wonder, what is the difference between a person and a people? Well, a person, under the statute, is any person who operates or functions in a regulated activity. Those people out there in the patient community understand that driving is a right, not a privilege. They always try to claim that when they get a right to a ticket, that driving is a privilege. And if you read the statute that they charge you with, it'll always say any person who, any person who, any person who. Well, who is this person? The person that they're talking about is the person that is functioning in a regulated activity. Well, are you functioning in a regulated activity when you drive your car? No, you're not. But if you were driving a truck, if you were driving a taxi, if you were doing something for hire, if you were a jobber going up and down the street, you would be operating the business on a highway, and that is a highly regulated activity. But if you are just traveling in your car, that's not a regulated activity at all. In fact, you have a common law right to travel in your car. And so you can multiply this over and over and over again. Whenever they come after you with a statute, you always have what is known as administrative remedies. In other words, under the Administrative Procedures Act, you can demand a hearing and a declaratory order from that hearing to be issued as to your status before the statute. But the statute, if it is to apply to you and for the administrative agency to have any authority over you, you must be participating in a regulated activity. And so the statute itself must define with particularity who that person is. 
And so if you are not operating within the parameters of the statute, then the agency has no authority over you. And so all these things happen before you get to the judiciary. The administrative agencies are all set up as an executive part of government. And so there the executive agencies are out there to enforce statutes, but they can't enforce the statutes against people. They can only enforce the statute against persons. What exactly they are regulating represents a very, very, very small portion of your life. But they want you to believe that whatever you do, the presumption is that you're functioning in that regulated activity. Most people do not understand exactly what controls the issue. What controls the issue here is the Administrative Procedures Act. See, all those administrative agencies that come against you and make these charges, they are controlled by procedure, and that procedure is the Administrative Procedures Act. And one of the elements of the Administrative Procedures Act is if you demand it, you can demand a hearing whereby you can ask them, in fact, they have to prove point blank that somehow, some way that you are participating in a regulated activity before the charge can move forward. The first thing that I would do under the statute is I would petition the department head for what is known as an adjudicative hearing. And so when I petition the department head for an adjudicative hearing, he is required under law and he is under no circumstances to try to bypass that hearing. When I ask for that hearing, he must give it to me. If he does not give it to me, the whole process ends. If, if, if I demand a declaratory order to come out of that hearing, they have to say, okay, this is exactly how you were participating in a privileged activity. Do you know how many times they've told me that they've held the hearing? Never. Never. But, but you understand, if they don't hold the hearing, the whole process ends, period. But most people don't understand this. They think just because somehow, some way, they ended up before the district court judge up there, that somehow, some way, this was converted from an administrative issue to that which is judicial. And nothing could be further from the truth unless you make a plea. Now, when I, whenever I go up to make a plea, when I'm called before the bar, I move on up there, and they, of course they tell me, you know, you've been charged. And I said, okay, well, if I've been charged, I'm here in order to answer the charge, but I'm not here to make a plea. And I show my affidavit to the judge. I tell him what I've already done is I've petitioned the department head, which is the Department of Licensing, petitioned them for a hearing to show whether or not I'm a person under the statutes. And at that point in time, once I do that and once I inform him of that, he is absolutely handcuffed. He's all guided. There's nothing else for me to talk about. There's nothing else for him to do except... Okay, we'll see you later, if and when the agency ever petitions me to make a ruling on their rulings, and that's about it. Can you do that also with the Franchise Tax Board in California? Any statutory issue, back to the original proposition, can the legislature pass laws that regulate people? 
No. They only regulate persons. And so they can only pass statutes that regulate persons in a regulated activity. And if they don't have that, they have the common law, which is the Fourth and Fifth Amendment, if they're going to bring a criminal charge. Once you understand that when a statute is broken and a citation is issued, you must understand that at that point you have what is known as administrative remedies. The ticket that you are given by the officer has nothing to do with the judiciary. It only has to do with the administrative agency that's coming after you. When the cop gives you a ticket for, say, driving without a license, the judiciary is not coming after you. The administrative agency is. And so when the cop gives you a ticket, that ticket has no judicial force about it at all. All it is is just a notice by the agency that they believe that you are doing something to violate the statute. And so the principal question at that time would be, okay, if I'm doing something to violate the statute, what regulated activity am I participating in? And so you have the right under the Administrative Procedures Act to demand a hearing. This is now this is all non judicial. This is this is all administrative. You have the right to demand a hearing. And you have the right to demand a declaratory order whereby they define exactly what it is that you were doing that they regulate that you didn't have a license to do. Who would be the head of the department to request a type of hearing? Well, now that's Title 46 is in Washington State. It depends on what state you are. Right. Just look at your ticket, right. see what the first couple of numbers are there, and then go to your uh, revised code for your state and find out what title those first two numbers are. Usually it's two numbers. Go and there should define who the department head is and where to find him. Any time you are given a citation whereby you are charged under statute, this works. As long as there's some kind of citation where you've broken the statute, then you look at the Administrative Procedures Act, Administrative Procedures Act governs. The first thing that they'll say on the ticket, you have broken such and such a statute under title, blah, 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 blah. And all you do is just follow the paper trail there. Well, the first two numbers tell you what title to look for. So you look for that title, and you look at the numbers under that title, it'll tell you exactly what statute you broke. And then if it is a statute, all you have to go to 34.05 here in Washington State, and that's the Administrative Procedures Act, follow the directions. When you talk about the common law, you're talking about judicial function. When you're talking about statutes, you're not talking about judicial function. You're talking about administrative function. How do you define judicial function? Judicial function, there's three different great divisions. One is judicial, one is uh, legislative. Executive. So that's one of the three main functions of government. There must be due process that brings you before the court, whether it's civil or criminal. If it's civil, it must happen under the Sixth Amendment. If it's criminal, it must happen under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. All those processes are well-defined, and in many places on the Internet that you can number. In order for them to function judicially, 
they must follow that due process to bring you before that forum. So a ticket, a citation, has nothing to do with anything judicial. It's all administrative. What happens here is the statute is passed, the administrative agency is created to enforce the statute. But the statute is only enforced against people who are participating in a regulated activity. So the process is there to first determine whether or not you did what they said that you did and whether you are a person that is operating in a privileged activity. Once they make their determinations, then they ask the judiciary to enforce them. That's how, that's how due process works in this country. Of course, now they try to abbreviate that a little bit. They try to move this process along a little faster than that. But that's basically what's happened and what's supposed to happen. That's what I'm going to ask for a hearing, and they don't give it, the process stops. I've heard several people use the Walmart analogy. If I'm an employee of Walmart, then I am a person of Walmart, you might say, where I'm a, I'm right. a people that, you know, is is uh, navigating that person, but I am, as an employee of Walmart, I have to function under their statutes. As a people, you walk in there, you ask for a job, if they give it to you, you are given those functions, and you become a person that right. can function so in that if, store. If my breaking a statute happens as a person, as an employee of Walmart, they got jurisdiction. However, if it happens uh, outside of my activities as an employee of Walmart, even though I am an employee, that happened as a people. Uh, you got it. Okay. <laughs> you, you got the concept. But most of the problem is that most people don't understand this. When they receive a citation and that cop files the citation at the local district court, they think somehow that they're operating in a judicial function and nothing can be further from the truth. It Correct. doesn't become judicial until you make a plea then I'm saying, yes, I was under jurisdiction of Walmart when I made the offense, even though I wasn't because I don't understand. <laughs> you might try to explain it that way, but what I'm giving you is the exact process that you should use and follow through with. When you're given a citation, you must make an appearance, but it isn't necessary that you make an appearance in the court. You can make an appearance by asking the department head for an adjudicated hearing. See, everyone thinks that with all these citations that they're getting, it has something to do with the law. Well, it does and can, but there's an administrative portion of the situation that first must be clarified as to whether or not you are actually the person that's functioning in that activity. The only way that the judiciary gets a hold of it is once the agency itself makes its determinations as to your status and what you did, then they ask the judiciary for enforcement. you got to understand, only the judiciary has the police powers. In other words, the only the judiciary can take your goods and throw you in jail. The other two functions of government can't do that. The ticket is administrative in nature. None of the administrative agencies have judicial power. And they can't take your goods and they can't throw you in jail. They can recommend yeah. that you're thrown in jail. Sure, I can volunteer for it. Yeah, I, I'm the one who puts myself in jail, really, isn't it? You hit the nail right on the head. 99% of the people in jail are because they volunteered. 
Kind of like paying taxes, right? <laughs> That's not so fantastic, but the, but nonetheless, it's true. Maybe in my mind, what I see as common law is if I cause any harm, injury, or loss to another man or people, okay? And if you go through this administrative process and they've determined, yes, you have caused harm, injury, or loss, then that's maybe how you don't get your ticket freed from their jurisdiction. You know what I'm saying? Well, you have to understand now, if they are saying that you are operating in a privileged activity, see, the person must be defined by the statute. And it can't be any ambiguity. In other words, the explanation must define you explicitly. If yeah, it doesn't, okay. then the, the statute is void for vagueness. And so unless they show that you specifically were operating in this privileged activity, they don't have anything to say to you. So let's put in a caveat here, okay? You have to understand how big this whole monstrous process is. Just look at the IRS. Look how many millions of dollars it brings in. I live in a little county in western Washington called Jefferson County, and mm-hmm. it's probably the smallest county in the state. And mm-hmm. it, within that court system there, through this process that we've been discussing, those guys bring in about $3 million a year. Mm-hmm. Now, that's this little Jefferson County. Now, you can imagine, like a big county like King County or Pierce County, right. what they do. This thing is a monster. And just oh, because yeah. you bring some of this stuff up, don't think that they're going to say, oh, wow, we didn't, we didn't realize this. You know, we're going to roll over for you. They're going to do everything in their power to defeat you. You understand that? The administrative process is legitimate. There's nothing the matter with the process. The problem is that we don't understand it. So yeah. we don't know how to challenge it. But now, after listening to the program tonight, at least you have an inkling of how to challenge it. What what I'm telling you, it stops it right at the beginning. By you signing that that piece of plastic, namely the driving license, wouldn't that put you under some sort of jurisdiction? The roads have two uses. One is ordinary and one is extraordinary. Mm. The ordinary use of the road allows you to travel back and forth unimpeded under the common law. The extraordinary use comes in when you start using the roadway as a place of business. When you start using the roadway as a place of business, a license is required. If I'm driving a taxi, I need to have a license. This all involves the public. And so I need to have a license. And if I don't have a license, then they can sanction me and they can throw me in jail and a bunch of things they can do. But if I'm just traveling up and down the road, only thing that regulates me is the common law. Go ahead. Let's say you have a truck, you know, a little mid-sized truck, and you help people move every day and you charge them, you know, $10 an hour or whatever. That's still your business. That's, that's, your, that's, still your. that's jobbing, but not... <laughs> What I would recommend is that you don't tell anybody. Yeah, I will. But that's what I mean. It's not the same yeah. thing as running a business. You, you have a private, you have a private a contract there. You don't have to tell anybody. Right. Exactly. And if, and if they can't prove it, see, when, when they start charging you with being a driver, they have to prove it. 
You understand? Yeah, sure. Build a rating, something, you know. Here at Australia, where I'm at, uh, they give you the option to have a commercial license or you can have a private license. So uh, when you have a private license, it almost sounds a bit like um, that you're operating this property, this vehicle, uh, for your own private sake, for your own private life. But it's almost like a like you're still under some sort of jurisdiction, even though it's a private matter. So it's confusing, isn't it? Not if bad. you are charged with anything on uh, the highway, you must be participating. See, just because you have the license, that doesn't mean that you're using it. That, uh, you're in a big rig and you're driving up down the road. Everybody, the presumption is that you have a CDL and and it's you're using that to do whatever needs to be done, right? But just because you have a CDL and you're driving along in your car, that doesn't mean that you're using the CDL at that time, right? See, so you, you, you have to actually be participating in the privileged activity. And if you're not, well, then, you know, once again, they're supposed to prove that. But if you understand how to demand an adjudicative hearing and demand a declaratory order come out of that, declaring your status before the agency and the statute, then you understand the problem that they have. Have you done this, Merrill, and succeeded at it? Myriad times. Oh, I love that. And it works like a shot. And this is what I really like, Angela. This is the way that it's done, and this is the way that people have been, you know, hammered for so long. Because they're hammered because they don't know the proper process. They don't understand what an administrative process is. They don't understand that they can participate or have to participate or can participate. They just presume that once that ticket gets into court up there, that there's some kind of judicial function connected to it, and that they're forced to go in there and deal with it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Once they make the plea in the district court, basically what you've done at that time is you've waived all of your administrative remedies. And now you've got to go forward with, the, with what the court has to say. And the only way out of the district court after you make a plea is through appeal. Good luck with that. I mean, I've been in this thing this thing for a long time. I spent time in jail over these issues. And I've seen some of my friends do the same thing. But if they would have known what I know now as to exactly what process they are in, and as nothing more than executive administrative process, and that the Administrative Procedures Act controls everything that happens once you get the citation, once they understand that, the rest is simple. It's easy. And as long as you notice the prosecutor and basically everybody in the matter, that that you were not um, operating under that piece of plastic and that you were just uh, minding your own private life as a private man, as a man, then there shouldn't be any problem, right? You have to understand that in order to have to talk to the prosecutor, if I mean have to talk to him, he has to bring forth certain processes from the court. In other words, he represents the people. And if you have broken the law, it's up to him to assemble all the facts in, regarding the situation and establish what is known as the subject matter. Now, for instance, under the Fourth Amendment, if he is to issue process under the Fourth Amendment, someone 
has to come to him with an affidavit stating that somehow, someway, someone purposely injured him. Someone has to come forth with an affidavit, David Stain. This guy come up to me and he punched me in the head without provocation. Okay, what he just said was that this guy on purpose come up and hit me and just purposely damaged me. That's called the element of mens re. He takes that affidavit to the prosecutor. The prosecutor takes it to the judge. The judge sees the affidavit, and the judge says, okay, I find probable cause that a crime has taken place here. Someone has assaulted someone, and they arrest you and bring you before the court and make you answer the charge. That's how it works. If the prosecutor under the Fourth Amendment didn't have that affidavit, there's nothing for him to work with. And if nothing was brought before the judge, the judge has nothing to say to you. And so if you receive a citation, this is just some kind of witness by the state that they believe somehow, maybe, maybe, perhaps, that you have broken one of their rules. Now, the Administrative Procedures Act says that before they can come forward and make their findings, the first thing that you can demand is a hearing and a declaratory order and let them define exactly what it is that you did that they thought was a regulated activity. And if they so, can't discover anything that you did that was a regulated activity, they got nothing more to say to you. This is our system of government. See, the, the legislature absolutely cannot pass laws that govern people, only persons. And those persons must be yeah. defined as operating in a privileged activity. In other words, like the driver's issue we've been discussing. Okay, that's what I'm saying. It's just confusing. It said the, the officer didn't give him a citation. No. How was it reported with motor vehicles that he encountered this police officer at all? How did they know? The cop on the scene gave me a court notice on the very scene, right back there. So he was to appear in court at a certain day at a certain time? Correct. And he didn't appear? No, no, the the court is on the 24th of June. It's coming up, and I've just been studying a, a common law and, and such things for the past year now, and, and I thought maybe I'll put it to practice, you know? All he has to do is say, you know, at the time of the stop, at the time of this, at the time of the, you know, that he encountered this police officer, you know, he was not operating under the license, that he was just a man going from point A to point B with his property, and that um, yeah. he carries yeah. a driver's license for the ease and convenience of the public officer to identify him. Mm-hmm. He uses it just merely for the convenience of identification purposes only. Not to, tra- not to take his property from point A to point B with. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, there's no requirement for a man to have a driver's license to take his property from point A to point B. But he keeps the public document the ease and convenience of identification purposes only for the, poli- for the, you know, like the public police officer. So if he wants to try a common law thing, go ahead, do that one. That's simple. You know, it's the ease of purpose. Because, like I said, before driver's license, all you got to do is watch the old Andy Griffith show. And if they didn't recognize the man coming through town, 
and the man was speeding or the man did whatever, got out of the wrong side of the car, they would hold him. They would hold him mm. until somebody could come forth and identify him because they didn't know if some serial killer was driving through Mayberry, and they weren't going to just let this stranger, this guest, go through their town without knowing what his intents are. It was very time-consuming at one time in history for you to go into another town from point A to point B until somebody spoke up for you and somebody would put up a bond for you or somebody would say, oh, I know who he is. He's okay. You could let him into this castle or you could let the drawbridge down or let him into our town. If you're going to issue a citation, you must be operating within the privileged activities that they regulate. It, it doesn't matter whether you have a license or you don't have a license. If you're not participating in a license function, it doesn't matter. From time to time, I have a license for, for identification purposes also. Unless I'm participating in the licensed activity, it doesn't matter. Okay, then let me put it this way. So say you don't want to play the statute game, God bless you, no problem. You go speeding through a town, the policeman will arrest you because you breached the peace. Well, this let is me, what is known me, as reckless endangerment. This is common law. You yeah, are a threat to the health, safety, and welfare of the public. You're doing something that is threatening people, and the cop sees you. He has probable cause to stop you and do whatever necessary to keep you from hurting people. Okay? So you got two choices. You can take the citation and promise to appear in the future, or he'll arrest you because he's doing it because the people of that land hired him, paid him, to secure and protect their land. We're not talking about common law issues. We're talking about things that require licensure. Okay? And we're mm -hmm. talking about those people charging you under statute. Once again, now, see, it's up to them to choose why they're going to charge you. But if they charge you under statute, now you have the remedies under the Administrative Procedures Act. Under the Administrative Procedures Act, they must prove that you're a person. And there is no judicial, there's no police powers connected to it. If they tried to apply so the police powers to it, they violated due process. If they arrest you because you had a driver, because you had a taillight out, then it's a false arrest. They can't arrest you for, for having a taillight out, you know. Come on. Just give me one person that ever got arrested for having a taillight out. Just tell me one man you know. One name. Hey. Dave. Dave Miller. Miller. Now, he doesn't mean anything to you. You can either accept my word for it or, or not. It doesn't matter. We're just, we're just talking on a talk show. We don't get okay? it. Well, I'm saying so, it's an inflammatory statement to make a statement saying that the police officers are running around out here arresting people for not having a taillight. That's inflammatory. That's just inciting... You know, panic. Do you want, no, they're not. Do you want me? Do you understand what what is this, this happened in Baltimore? It was for a, a really innocuous thing. He's not identifying himself or something. So if you actually know the whole story, do you realize the DA, that she wrote a memo for the cops to specifically patrol that street corner and do everything well, within their power? We're talking about issues of law. That's what we're okay. discussing. We're not discussing anything else. We're talking about what the law means, 
what they can do, what they can do legally, what they can't do. That's all we're discussing. And so above and beyond that, I, you know, I, I don't know what else to say. If you're out in the public and certain societies require you to wear clothing, you wear it. Certain societies like Fiji that don't require you, you don't. We are talking about the law, what they're supposed to do under the law, and what they're not. That's called a public nuisance. That's common law. We're not talking about the common law. We're talking about the difference between the common law and statutes, how they charge you, how they don't charge you. We're showing you an easy way to deal with statutory charges, and almost all charges are statutory. If there's an issue that has to do with statutory enforcement, I'm here to discuss it with you. My question to Meryl, because it's, you're looking at the Administrative Procedures Act, and I use it both federally and state of California, which is in the government code, starting at section 11340, I think it is, the California government code. But in that government code, it actually tells you in section 12.5 that they no longer deal with man or men anymore. Your California codes only deal with person or persons, and it's stated right in there, section 12.5 in the California government code, and that, that it's, it's declaratory. It didn't amend anything. It's just they've said, hey, everything here refers to persons only. So what you're saying is accurate. Um, if someone has gone in the court for a traffic ticket, and, but they never, ever entered a plea, like you said, once the plea is entered, it becomes judicial at that point. But since a plea was never entered, but they entered a deemed uh, presumed plea, okay, it's bizarre what was put on the record, is that still considered still administrative at that point and not judicial yet for in order to do an adjudicated hearing? Because of something that happened to me when I did get a traffic ticket, it was a moving violation. And when I went to the court, I didn't see the commissioner, I didn't stipulate, I went directly to the judge with the court of record. So there was a, a court uh, record that I could get a transcript of. So I could force the judge to say things on the record that they don't like saying and, uh, and have them administratively back away and let me alone. And, uh, but I was testing something out, and it didn't work, and it backfired on me. And um, they ended up putting a fine on me and putting a – he entered a deemed plea is what it said, D-E-E-M-E-D, deemed plea, which means that it really doesn't exist, but uh, we'll, just, we'll just presume that it does. Will create it and as though it did exist. Once the citation is issued, you must make an appearance. But now the thing is, when they take you into court, you don't have to make the appearance there. If I was to make an appearance to make a plea, I, I just flush myself down the toilet. You understand? When I go before the judge, I give them an affidavit saying, "Hey, I'm not here to make a plea. I have already made my appearance before the agency." And I have to petition the department head for an adjudicated no. hearing. Now I've complied with everything in the law. I've made my appearance. What is the judge going to say? I know right. they always told me, well, goodbye. We'll see you later sometime maybe. That was now, it. Now, that's if you made that appearance for the adjudicated hearing. What if you didn't do that and you went into the court? Well, you see, the thing is you have to make an appearance somewhere. When he talks about that deemed plea, he's making a plea for you. Did you object? He never ever said he was entering a plea. Never said it. <laughs> okay. As a matter of okay. fact, you looked at you looked at the ID <laughs> card I had, the California ID. You said, "Oh, this looks like a driver's license to me." He declared it to be if a driver's license. Stand, if you stand mute, silence is always consent. 
you have to object in such a way that it complies with the law. He put out a warrant for my arrest. Failure you to appear. But I knew we'd get around to it sometime tonight. What is the difference between a bench warrant and an arrest warrant? The arrest warrant is issued when due process is followed under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. A bench warrant is issued to make someone who has been subpoenaed to make them appear before the court. And by the way, the bench warrant must have an affidavit with it also. If you want to learn about all this stuff, go to Corpus Juris Secundum and look up bench warrant. I looked it up. As far as the bench warrant is concerned, they have been abusing that process from time immemorial. And if they used one against you and you were not subpoenaed, they violated due process, okay? What Corpus Juris says here is that when they issue that bench warrant, there has to be actually due process in place under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment in order for them to issue it, or under the Sixth Amendment. I knew nothing about it until I called to see about getting information as to where the where the status of the ticket was. And the court clerk told me, oh, there's a warrant for your arrest over here. And I'm like, sure. yeah, I didn't know about that. I was never noticed. So you didn't appear. Okay, so <laughs> since I didn't appear, then there was no appearance, correct? Then the adjudicated hearing can be held? Since they well, say no, that see, I didn't appear? you ask for the adjudicated hearing... What you're telling the judge is, I've made my appearance before the agency. You understand? Know I've just petitioned for an adjudicative hearing. What I'm saying is since I did not do request an appearance before the uh, administrative hearing, because there's administrative hearings here. I've been through administrative hearings for other things, but I didn't request that. So the judge is saying, now, you didn't do all these things. You're silent on all your administrative remedies, and so you're here, and so I can represent the agency here, so I'm going to issue a bench warrant and force your appearance here. That's what he did. And if he ever got caught at it, they'd just slap his hand and move on. But nonetheless, if you issued a bench warrant under those conditions, he was violating due process. No two ways about it. All the judgments that they come up with, they never have subject matter. There's no way to bring a criminal charge except under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. So anything that has to do with statutory issue is all civil in nature. And the only way yeah. that it can be enforced is through civil contempt, not through criminal charges. When you see the enormity of that, you'll understand how much this process has been abused. And how much people don't know. All these district courts up here, there's not one of them that has subject matter, therefore they're all void. All the judgments of them are void, almost totally. If they're without subject matter, there can't be a plea, there can't be anything. And if they bring you through the courts on a statutory matter, there's no way a subject matter can be established under the Fourth or Fifth Amendment. All those things must be enforced through civil contempt. This is the enormity of the situation. I mean, it's just, it's flabbergasting, you know. And it's flabbergasting how much they're supported in what they do. Most of the reason because people don't know. We're talking about the difference between what they do, how they bring charges, uh, and how charges are brought under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. And that's the only place, the only way criminal charges can be brought is under the Fourth and Fifth Amendment. 
And so anything that they bring up statutorily can only be enforced through civil contempt. But they convert these things to criminal issues all the time. They bring you in there. They say you've been charged, and if you make a plea, you're off and running. But I tell you what, the only thing that they acquire when you make the plea is personum. They can never establish subject matter because it wasn't done on a criminal issue. They can never establish subject matter because it never went through the Fourth or Fifth Amendment. They pronounce sentence, throw people in jail all the time. Whenever I apply for a gate period, I never get it. They just say, well, it doesn't appear that you are participating in a regulated activity, so we're not going to give you one. And so, okay, they'll get one. Great. Now what happens? Nothing. The process stops right there. Now, have you Period. used any of that with the Internal Revenue Service at all? Internal Revenue Service has the same process. It is an administrative agency. There must be administrative process. And the adjudicative hearing at that level is called the collection due process hearing. Uh, you know, whenever they go to levy, you can immediately demand a, a, a collection due process hearing to make sure that they did everything they were supposed to do to verify the debt. Well, they'll kick and scream and holler and squirm, and, you know, they don't want to give you one. That is the hearing where the record is set, and you must set the record there before you apply to the district court. Not only do you have administrative remedies, but they have them also. In order to set the administrative record and set the facts, you must have that hearing. Without that hearing... Anything that's brought before the district court before that hearing, you know, there's nothing on the record of the court, you know, to hear. In other words, there's no facts, and without those facts put in that hearing, there's nothing for the district court to hear. That's how it works. And so this, this is where everybody gets buffaloed. You must set the administrative record first. Then if there's any problem or any question of law, then you ask the judiciary to decide. But by that time, they have screwed up so much, they don't want a hearing. <laughs> they won't give you one, as a matter of fact. So, you know, if they try to move past that without giving the hearing, boy, they're in trouble. Do you go through the process at the due process hearing and having them approve that you are a person uh, subject to their administrative procedures the way you do it with the traffic ticket and other things lo locally? I'm not sure about the question here, but let me tell you what happens. When they give you a citation, they're claiming that you have broken one of their statutes. Now, the only entity that can break one of their statutes is a person, okay? Not one of the people, a person. In other words, the person is defined by the statute as someone who is participating in a regulated activity, Okay, now, if I was a taxi driver and I was calling people around for hire, is that a regulated activity? Absolutely. So, so now, if I was to petition the agency and say, okay, I'm a taxi driver and I've got a ticket here for such and such and so-and-so, are you going to show me where I'm a person under the statute? And then they would call you in there and they'd say, yeah, you have a license here, you're hiring people for money here. That makes you part of the public program. You are a person under the statute, and, you know, here it is, and this is the levy we're going to put on you. 
But now, what if you're traveling down the road in your automobile and the cop pulls you over? It says, you were whatever doing whatever you were doing, and I'm going to give you a ticket. So now they've given you a ticket under a statute. So does the ticket that they give you apply to you? If you're just traveling from point A to point B, none of those statutes apply to you. You're not a person because you're using the roadway as a matter of right to travel on. The taxi driver is using the roadway as a place of business. He requires a license. You see the difference between one to the other? They're going to prove me to be a person. It's impossible. Were you participating in a privileged activity? That's the question. And that person must be defined by the statute. And I was burning some stuff up, and the cop come by and says, well, geez, you know, there's a there's a burn ban on. I said, well, okay, great, there's a burn ban on, so how's that apply to me? So he gave me a ticket, and so I started looking up the statute. Well, in order for me to be a person under that statute, the fire had to be so big. It had to be so close to public land. There was about three or four or five different criteria that I had to be conforming to in order for that fire to be illegal. But since the fire was just a small fire, it was about two foot across, and the illegal fire had to be bigger than four, they couldn't prove that I was a person under the statute. So there's what they're saddled with. And so 99 times out of 100 when they give you a ticket for breaking some statute, there's no way that they can prove that you're a person under the statute. Because the statute must clearly define you. If it doesn't, well, it's void for vagueness. I've asked for adjudicated period after adjudicated period. They've never given me one. They just write back and say, well, it doesn't appear as though you are participating in a privileged activity. Move on. And that's what I did. I asked for a collection due process hearing, and they gave me one. God, I forgot his name out in Vegas. He did that, too. And he, you know, told them ahead of time he was going to bring a recording device, which they have to let you do. And they said, okay, but when he got there, they wouldn't let him in with it. So he wrote this big old explanation of how, you know, he he was there, but they wouldn't let him in. And the court gave him... The case. He won his case yeah. against the IRS. There is no way that they can deny the hearing. There's yeah. no way that they can do it and not violate due process. Right. The guy who called me up and said to me, I got just, I just got arrested, got out of jail, what do I do? So I said, this is what you do when you go to the initial hearing when it comes to uh whether it's going to be uh, an indictment handed down to the grand jury. And the judge said, yes, there's enough evidence for it to go down before the grand jury. So then when it was sending it over to the grand jury, we put two notices into the court and sent it to the prosecutor. When the prosecutor got the notices, the prosecutor did a no-low prosecutor. The prosecutor said to the state in New Hampshire, you know, that he does not want to prosecute this man. So I sent to Angela the proof, the court document that says the case number, the name of the court, the name of the man, and that the state prosecuting attorney's office does not want to prosecute this man. He is a felon. He had a gun and was in his possession in a car at 3 o'clock in the morning. They went to go collect a van from somebody who wouldn't give it back. But it's funny, the passenger, who was a felon, got charged with a misdemeanor. 
Now, the state prosecutor did not drop the charges on the passenger. And that's the passenger only had a misdemeanor. The reason why they didn't drop the charges on the passenger is because the passenger is doing administratively. The passenger has an attorney. So they're going to run the course with this guy for six months a year because they did it administratively. He, and so now his friend's like, holy cow, call stuff works. Let me try call stuff. So I'm going to help this guy with the misdemeanor, which should be a lot easier than a felon, but a felony. It has nothing to do with administratively. It's just we made contact with the police officers that uh, he supposedly uh, assaulted, that he touched. We tried to make compensation with the, the man, and they said, you know, none is required. You know, we don't require any compensation because no real physical damage was done to him, no broken nose, no broken bones, no blood was drawn. So they were willing to drop it. And then what happened with the um, resisting arrest was also basically along the same lines. You know, and then we asked the state, you know, to just send us a bill for the public service that uh, public servants had to come out and perform. And they said, well, there's no bill that we could, uh, you know, an invo- you know no, no bill in particular so we could establish for folks because uh, we don't know how to itemize the cost of a cop coming out for 20, 30 minutes and doing his job. So we tried to pay off the debt to society, and there was no debt to society. Petition uh, agency, petitioning agency. Do you realize petitioning an agency, what petition means? It means a supplication or or begging or pleading to a higher authority, to a deity. Stick with common law. If you want to talk like a man, act like a man, just say, hey, look, where's the harm, injury, or loss? The Constitution, all it does is establishes like the legislative branch, the executive branch, and judicial branch. That's all the Constitution does. And it only has impact and control of those branches. It doesn't have impact and control over a man. Your constitution is your skin, your bones, your liver, your spleen. That's what makes you up as a man. A constitution just basically means how are we going to identify or how are we going to define this body, this corporate body, yeah. this political body, this human body. Okay? Yeah. That's all a constitution is, is a list of how are we going to define how this corporate body functions or how this political body functions, or how this human body functions. So the only constitution I have is the one that God gave me. He gave me skin, bones, eyes, liver, spleen. That's my constitution. It's their bylaws. It's how they're going to define their structure, their government, how they're going to operate, how they're going to move, how they're not going to move. These Bill of Rights and all this other nonsense, like they said, half the delegates left because they said they had disagreed. Why are you trying to put a Bill of Rights in here? Why are you trying to put a Fourth, Fifth Amendment, Sixth? This Constitution has absolutely nothing to do with man. Nothing. It just has to do with the structure of our United States centralized government, which is tiny. Why are you putting in a Bill of Rights to try to confuse a man that for some reason he's subjected or subjugated to this Constitution? A man is not subjugated to the Constitution because... He is his own being. This is a corporate being. This is a political being. This is a human being. They're separate entities. Why are you trying to confuse people? This guy in New Hampshire was a convicted felon. So he had a 23-year sentence on him, and they let him out in a year and a half. This guy could have went right back to jail, done the rest of his 23 years, plus charges on him for a gun. So it could have got really, really ugly for this man. And obviously this man was really scared. You know, that he was going to spend some serious time back in jail. You know, convicted felon with a handgun. Everybody knows on planet Earth, holy crap, that guy is in big trouble. But he said, when you stand mute, that's consent. No, it doesn't. When you stand mute in an administrative hearing, when you stand mute in a second dimensional world, it just means you can't hear them because you don't understand them because you don't see them. It's what they do to you 
when you try to talk to a judge or a prosecutor and you try to evoke right. common law, all they do is they say, we don't understand you, we don't see you, this isn't the right time, this isn't the right place for that, this is administrative. So this guy's trying to say, well, Dallas, you have to talk to these agents, you have to talk to these administrations, you have to talk to these judges. And I just laugh. I said, you've got to be kidding. You understand that you become under their jurisdiction. Once you become competent, once you become aware, once you start intercoursing with them back and forth and you're engaging with them in words that make competent sense, like if the judge said to me something in a second dimension, like, how do you plead? I say, apple, oranges, hot box? What? Well, how do you plead to these charges? Is this a legal matter or is this a lawful matter? It's a legal matter. Well, then apples, oranges, oddballs. I don't understand the least. They're not going to bring a man to appear against you in open form. So what you need to do is you need to appear in writing because they're there in writing. So you appear in writing. So that's what happened with the man in New Hampshire. He appeared in writing through the notices. So he didn't have to go to trial for this gun possession, for this felony gun possession. And like I say to people, if you... Uh, Want a copy of this actual court document that says no low prosecute from the state uh, attorney saying to the state, we don't want to prosecute this man? I'll send it to you. And it has the case number. It has the man's name, the date of the disposition. It, it's all there. And then I'll send you the other paper from the other man who just sent it to me the other day saying about the, you know, uh, fighting and assaulting a police officer. And the state motion to dismiss it. Not him. He did motion to dismiss it. That's ridiculous because then you're entering to their jurisdiction. You don't motion anything to these people. You don't petition to these people. You don't, what was the other crazy thing he told the guy to do? Petition, motion, and something else. Oh, I forgot. Uh, apply. Oh, my God, apply. That's asking for standing. If you're applying for a job, that means you're begging somebody to let you in the door and can I please stand work at this factory, at this machine for the next 20 years of my life. I'm not applying to anything. I'm not applying to an agency. And then if you're applying, that means your legal person has, is claiming for status. Your legal person is begging to be admitted. I don't have a legal person. I don't have a Boy Scout person. I don't have a Girl Scout person. See, if I, had a, if I was a legal person, okay, that means that I'm a person within the legal society. If I was part of the Boy Scout society, the Girl Scout society, the Boy Scout society would give me a name. They'd give me running big, fat, little jumping jack, whatever. That'd be my Boy Scout name. The legal society would give me a name like Carl Lentz, or they'd steal it from my mom. My mom would put it down on some sort of legal document, and they'd say, well, Carl, do you have a legal name? No, I can't. simple like this. The judge, says, the judge says, are you Carl Lentz? I said, Carl Lentz, the given name for my parents, for my mom and my dad, yeah. or the legal Carl Lentz? Which Carl Lentz are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for the legal Carl Lentz. Is that, what's your legal name? I said, I don't have a legal name. I don't have a Boy Scout name. I don't have a Girl Scout name. I don't have a legal name. I've never been a member of the Boy Scout Society, the Girl Scout Society, the Legal Society. I do not have a legal name. So I, I, I know I'm not a member in good standing within the Legal Society because, let me see, I'm 51 years old. And I think I'm back on my dues about 51 years. Okay? I'm not a member of your Legal Society. You have no jurisdiction. You have no control over me. Okay? I'm not a Boy Scout. If the Boy Scout summons me to appear and tell me I'm in violation of some Boy Scout codes, I don't care. I'm not a member of your Boy Scout Society, so I'm a complete idiot to your code, so I'm liable. When you stood up and said, you know, is any man here to make a claim? You did that three times. Did you put it in writing? Everything in their administrative side, their two-dimensional world, has to be in writing. They can't hear the voice of man. When somebody summons you to appear, when somebody invites you to appear, say to my wedding or to my funeral or to whatever, 
whatever I'm inviting you to, to participate in, you put the terms and conditions on your appearance. You say, I will appear from 9 o'clock to 9.30. I don't have all day to sit around and wait. If it lingers past 9.30, I'm going to charge $100 an hour. So you better put me on the top of your docket the things to do today. You know, you better put me on a list of things to do. You better make me your number one priority. I'm a very valuable individual, and I'm going to require compensation. The one good thing the man in New Hampshire did very well is that when he was brought out in shackles and chains for the bail hearing, he just kept saying, you know, I want to speak to you man to man. And the magistrate, you know, the bail, you know, who was ever setting the bail, said, go ahead, speak to me man to man. And then he says, well, I require leave of court for paper, pen, and ink so I could properly address the court. And the, the man, the judge, the magistrate said, well, this is not a formal legal procedure, so, you know, at this time, you know, why don't you just talk to me man to man? Why don't you address the court? And he did. And I said to him, oh, they said, look, all you had to do was say to this man who's a judge or magistrate, just say, look, honestly, I just need 10 seconds, 20 seconds, so I could probably answer the court with paper, pen, and ink, so I could probably submit it to the court in writing, just in case something happens to you, magistrate, and, or something happens to this recording device. I have it in writing. I have it in paper. You could put it in the file, and the prosecutor could see it tomorrow. The prosecutor standing right here, well, I don't know, it was a bail hearing. Just say, I require to put... Any answer I have present to this court in writing, please just give me paper, pen, and ink. That's all I require of you. So I said, just keep saying that, you know. And if he says, I said, say, look, let the guy behind me, let him go in front of me. If you're in a big hurry, just let me step to the side. Let the next guy go for the bail of bond hearing and just give me 30, 40 seconds and let me write something real quick. And the only thing is he basically would have wrote, it's like I'm a man and I require that this court to bring the man or woman forward to the claims I've done wrong. I wish to compensate any man or woman at this time for any wrong that I may have occurred. And that's it. And if the judge doesn't let you go, fine. If the judge still sets the bail and bond hearing, that's lovely. But it's in writing. It's the very first damn thing that they got from you before you entered any kind of a plea or anything. They already got it in writing that you're a man and yet you're willing to compensate any other man for doing anything wrong. At least they got it immediately. You know, so the man in New Hampshire had to do it verbally. And I was like... It kind of sets you up, giving you a reputation that you're a man, but it would have been a lot tighter if you could have done it in writing and had it in the file immediately. I call it universal. I call it natural law. You don't take my property, I won't take yours. Somebody takes your property, give me a holler, and I'll come and help you get it back. And that's what the government is supposed to do. The government agents are supposed to secure and help protect the property of man. We create the agencies. We create the offices. Man creates all of this. They're there to serve us for a benefit. When they no longer a benefit to us, we no longer have to use or require their assistance. And we could just say to them, your services or your rules or your regulations or whatever are not required at this time. We do not need them. They're not necessary. They're actually a burden upon us. So we don't have to accept the benefit if we don't wish. If that benefit actually turns into a burden, we don't have to accept the burden. We don't have to carry the burden of something that we created. You know, it can't force it upon us. You know, a chair, if I created a chair with my benefit, the, the chair can't force me to oil it or wax it or dust it or carry it. That chair can make no demands of me. Should I take care of the chair? Absolutely. Should I take care of the public officers, the police officers, the state troopers? Absolutely. Should I try to help them and assist them? Absolutely. Should I try to get along with them? Absolutely. Should I try to make them see my point of view? Absolutely. The judge starts calling me. You say, oh, yeah, maybe it does look like rain. Maybe I should go get an umbrella. You don't succumb to their control. You just say, you know what? 
This has nothing to do with me. I'm not getting involved. This legal society and this legal matter has nothing to do with me. I'm not a legal person. I'm not getting involved. I'm not answering anything. I'm not talking. I wish to remain silent. And this other guy was just saying, oh, no, no, no. Being silent is a, a form of a, a compliance or it's, it's proof of consent. Or it's, No, it's not. That's only if you're in the jurisdiction and under their control. Only if like, you have an agreement or contract to perform a certain thing, and then you don't perform, and then you don't do it. Then it's a sign of admission of guilt. But no, not if you're not part of their society. That's one good thing that this Merrill guy did say. He said there's got to be an affidavit on file. Good. Make somebody come down to the police department, swear on an affidavit, we'll take on an arrest warrant, and then we'll go get that guy in the street corner for selling drugs. Until then, we're not going to involve. If he wants to sell drugs to another man, God bless him. If he wants to sell crazy glue, tennis shoes, uh, Bible, let him do whatever he wishes. Because that's two men entering an agreement, and the government has no right to interfere with the man's capacity to contract. So if I want to make a deal with Fidel Castro for cigars, you know, nobody on planet Earth could interfere with me making a deal with another man named Fidel Castro who wants to sell me cigars. It's not causing any harm to the public at large. You're going to have to bring forth an affidavit that it is. Somebody's going to have to swear out that because I made a deal with Fidel Castro, it caused society or caused them, you know, personally harm or injury. You're going to have to show me. Until then, don't interfere the way I intercourse with any other man or any other woman in the universe. Okay, you said something about garnishment? Yeah. Okay, and what did you go for a garnishment hearing? You, you got the right to a garnishment hearing. Just because you got a judgment against you and they said that your paycheck is going to be garnished X amount of funds if you're willing to play their game, you could always request, you know, beg to the court a garnishment hearing. And if you say if you garnish too much, a garnishment hearing is great because what you would do is basically like a bankruptcy hearing. You take all your bills and you'd itemize it for the court, and you say to the judge, look, if you've gone as more than X amount of dollars, it's going to cause harm to your fellow man. And I know you're a good, godly judge, and you're a very wise man, and I know you certainly didn't take this position of authority to cause harm to your fellow man, and if you do anything more than $5 a day or $5 a week, it's going to cause harm. It's going to cause harm to your fellow man, you know, the children of this man. So like I said, you write a really nice... Uh, you know, give the judge a really nice notice. You put a notice before the court. That's what's great about a garnishment hearing. And you, it's just like bankruptcy where you're paying pennies on a dollar over a long period of time. And the creditors have to accept it because we live in a Christian land, a Judeo-Christian land. A Christian land, we have to forgive those of their debt. we got no choice. We have to forgive our brothers of the trespass of their debt. We have no choice. That's how this nation was formed. So that's why you write something beautiful like that in a bankruptcy hearing or a garnishment hearing, you know, anything. Any kind of old debt that somebody's bearing your ass in the court, you show them the itemized statement of your bills, your expenditures, what's coming in and what's going out. And you show them that you're running in the black. Or you show them you're running in the red. But they want to see that you're actually honoring the judgment, that you're actually honoring, you know, the ruling. You said you weren't given proper notice of the hearing before the judgment was, was rendered? You mean that the employee was supposed to notice you that they were going to go and start garnishing your check? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, that's after the fact. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, don't worry about your employer garnishing. Go back to the court of the original jurisdiction, just like me. Say I got a garnishment against you, okay, for $1,000 a week, okay? And you come to me and say, look, call man to man, honestly, 
I got kids. Honestly, call this ruling that you got against me. Call is killing me. It's hurting my children. It's it's causing me positive, positive poverty and destitution. You know, I call. Please just forgive me until I get back. I was called as soon as I win the lottery. You'll be the first one I pay. But call right now, please. Drop it down to like five dollars because this thousand dollars a week is just killing me. And I'd say, of course, I'll drop it because I'd wish of my fellow man sometime in the future to forgive me of my trespass, forgive me of my debt. So, of course, I'm going to show mercy. And like these judges will do it if you talk to them man to man. If you talk to them like a judge, they're going to say, my hands are tied by the statutes. My hands are tied by the code. My hands are tied. As a judge, they must perform in a certain manner, and that's it. They don't have the capacity to do other than what is written. A judge is like talking to a, a pine cone or a rock. It's rigid. They have to abide by certain mandatory sentencing statutes, and they don't have a choice. They're not mean, they're not evil, they're not cruel, it's just that you forgot to evoke calling out to your fellow man, calling out to your fellow God. You just forgot how to do it. And they're not teaching you, and I'm just trying to teach you people how to do it. And when you realize how simple this is, like the man in New Hampshire did, holy cow, two, three weeks later, all the gun charges were dropped against him because he called out to his fellow man. It's, it's I, not putting an itemized statement of why this judgment is causing you financial you know, hardship. It's great to put it down in an itemized statement and say, look, I only, come, I only have $1,000 know, coming in every month. By you having this judgment against me, my children can't eat properly. I can't give them proper nutrition. I can't give them proper medical care. You talk to the judge man to man. You can't say, judge, Bob. You have to say, Bob, a man who's acting in the judge as a judge in this matter. You know, I'm calling out to you man to man. Please, sir that this is the best I can do. I am not lying. I'm an honorable woman. I want to pay my debts. I am so happy when my debts and my burdens are lifted from me. I want to pay this debt. But at this time, as soon as I win the lottery, believe me, I'll wipe out this debt. It'll be the, after I cash that check, they'll be the first people I pay off. But until then, please forgive me my trespass. Forgive me my debt. Something that simple. You just got to come from the heart. Just don't cut, copy, and paste what I just said. They call you out. You have to perform, not call Lance. They might toss you a couple of oddball questions, and they want to see if you're sincere and true. And they're going to judge you. And that's, thank God, you know, there's a man sitting there right now, not a machine and not a robot, that's just they're putting the codes into there and say, nope, the code says you infracted a 36572, and they put the data, uh, you know, like a IBM punch card in. It's, this is the penalty, and this is what you have to pay. And you have no choice. And we're going to take all your property away from you because you're not in compliance with the code. So right now we don't we're not in a cold land. We're one of the few countries on planet Earth that still has a Judeo Christian belief. The Judeo is eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. We're gonna take every damn thing from you. That's your Judeo. The Christian is no. We gotta forgive him. So the code is more of a Judeo land. When you're going to a cold land, you're going more to a Judeo land, a judicial land. Judicial and Judeo isn't sound alike, it is it's identical. So it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's the code, and that's it, no mercy. You have to prove that you didn't break the code, not that the code is always right. In this land, they have to prove that you've done wrong. In those code lands, you have to prove you've done no wrong because the code is right. The code enforcement officers are always right. Just like when that girl got arrested in Italy, her parents came back and said, this is obscene what's going on in Italy. She has to prove she didn't do it. Totally opposite of the United States. Well, the code enforcement officers and the code clearly are not wrong, that the girl must be, have done something wrong. Because our codes are wonderful. Our code enforcement officers are, you know, they can't, they can't do no wrong. 
which is that's what is the definition of a judge, a man who is wise or a woman who is wise who gives good rulings and renderings. Now, if the man or the woman does something, you know, like hits you in the head with a, you know, with a bat in the middle of a courtroom, you know, the judge says, obviously that's not a judge. Obviously that's a man who's acting as a judge, but not with outside of the scope and capacity of the authority of the judge, because no judge in my, any definition I've ever seen in a book has the capacity to stand up in the middle of the courtroom and hit your head with a bat. But as long as they're within their scope of authority, if you don't like their rendering, don't like their ruling, that's their job. If you don't like it, it's just an opinion. It's just like the United States Supreme Court says, it is the opinion of the court. Every single ruling you see from the United States Supreme Court says, it's just our opinion. What the hell do we know? We're not God. We're just, you know, people who put here to do a job, just like the cop, just like the judge. But it's our opinion. It should go this way. And, like, look at the Supreme Court. Sometimes it's 5-4. So, obviously, it's not 100% clear that even the judges, the justices. Maybe it's 5-4. It's like, eh, You know, maybe it depends on if another, you know, a Catholic gets, a, you know, in, it's, it's going to be 6-3. to three. If another Jewish person goes in, it'll be 4-5 the other way. Because all the Supreme Court justices are Catholics and Jewish people. It's a Judeo-Christian land. Mm-hmm. Whether you like it or not. Look at the Supreme Court justices, how they were set up. Four Jewish people, five Catholics. It's Judeo-Christian. It's like you got the Pope running the show, and you got like you know the Judeo-Hebrew Israelites running the show. It's a it's a it's a four to five split. Thank God it's more of a Christian land than a Judeo land right now. Thank God, because we have mercy in this land. You don't have mercy over in Europe. If you give me liberty, that means at some time in the future, I'm going to have to come back and serve you. I'm going to have to come back to a certain duty, obligation, responsibility. Now, I don't want liberty, because if I have liberty, that means I'm also bound to some other higher authority. And it's certainly not going to be on this celestial planet. It's going to be a godly authority that I'm going to answer to. This is what lawyers do. They're always taught, find out what the latest, greatest rulings are for the United States Supreme Court. They're all waiting for a Supreme Court decision so they could change all of their opinions, mm-hmm. all of their beliefs instantly. They will change all their beliefs. All the attorneys will change their beliefs instantly as soon as the United States Supreme Court comes out with a new ruling. All of a sudden, now the new religion, now the new belief, now the new God exists because the United States Supreme Court spoke. What be do? Next term, they're going to say something completely opposite in all the beliefs, all the religions, all the death penalties. Now you get... Now you go back to jail for selling pot. Now you get the death penalty for selling it to a minor. Wait a second. Last year, everything was cool. Now this year's death penalty again. You know what? I'm done with your silly opinions. I'm done with your rulings. I'm done. You know what? I'm going to go back to caveman time and say, how the hell did these guys pull it off? They couldn't read. They couldn't write. How did they pull it off? Yeah, but like, let me answer that question real quick. Why I think the administrative process is a bunch of hooey is because you have to be a member of the agency to invoke administrative process, and I don't wish to be a member of the agency. I don't want to be a member of the executive branch or under the control of the executive branch. I don't want to be an acting agent. They're going to dismiss it because it's not your case. It's the state's case. If the state wants to make the motion to dismiss it, they can have it dismissed. Why? They can say for it to go away, and they can say for it to come back sometime in the future. Like Rod Class said the other day, his case was dismissed. A couple of months later, boom. Came back. They bring it back to life, and they betrayed so you can't dismiss that case. They're going to laugh at you. It's like, no, this is my case. If somebody tried to dismiss my case, I'm laughing at them. What wording did Gus use in order to get them to go to the... It was basically just the basic simple stuff that I tell people all the time. Basically, you know, you're willing to compensate. You want to pay your debt to society, and uh, you're just waiting for a bill to be tended. 
you know, Gus would say, Cole, what should I write? Should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? No, no, just make it simple. Do this, boom, just be done. Do you start to understand? Make it a lot simpler. You know, Rod Class trying to do his administrative process, I was like, there is no, when I hear that, I feel bad for them. It's like, you know, part of me is like, is there like attorneys like whispering in these guys' ears saying, look, this is the golden ticket. This is what you got to do. All you got to do is evoke the Constitution. All you got to do is show where they're making administrative and procedural errors. This is all you got to do. You know, who's telling these guys to do this stuff? That pride is going to convince them that they're right. Just one step away from the golden ticket. Just one notch away. And I just chucked it all away and I said, you know what? F all these books. This is ridiculous. This has nothing to do with man. Thank God I was able to say, man, was I tricked? Was I fooled? Oh, boy, you got me. Never again. But thank you. You taught me a valuable lesson. Don't ever follow this stupid path ever again because it's going to leave me nothing but, you know, heartache and ruin and, you know, agita. I'm just going to be totally stressed out because nothing's ever going to come of it. It's just a dead-end trail to nowhere. It's the same thing with Jonathan and Jesse when they got their kids back. Jonathan went on and on and on for two, three hours in court, spitting out all kinds of nonsense. When it was Jesse's turn to speak, she said, I was robbed of property, and I already returned my property, and that was it. The judge says, well, why don't you know why you were robbed? And Jesse was like, I don't care if, if you rape me. Why do I care why you rape me? All I know is it's wrong. Robbery's wrong. Rape is wrong. I require you to restore my property immediately. And the judge was like, okie dokie, you know, court will be in recess. And then they came back the next day and said, here's your kids. Have a nice day, you know. When do you want to pick them up? And molest means to bother. Right, I'm a bothersome. There you go. Some guy named Chuck wants to set up a common law, constitutional, based on Magna Carta, you know, 12, 14, uh, court system, okay? That he wants to set up his own society, the, the 12, you know, the Magna Carta, you know, 12, 14 society, whatever he wants to do, 1297, whatever he wants to do, society. And what happened is the legal society somehow got a foothold in this country and somehow they took, they convinced people that they have authority over them. It's just like the Boy Scout Society, the Girl Scout Society, the legal society got a foothold. And for some reason, people were led to believe that these people had some sort of authority control over their lives. And it just slowly, you know, maybe 1% a year, and, you know, about 100 years ago, your parents knew, your grandparents knew that it was ridiculous that any man could, could try to control another man, especially since they fled countries from all over the world where one man was a monarch, thought he had the right over life and death. Your grandparents came over here because they knew they had the right to self-govern. It's like, it finally makes sense to them. Like, holy shit, like you're saying, Carl Lentz, it makes sense to me what you're saying. Yeah, what I'm telling you is what your grandparents felt when they came over to the United States. It just made sense to come to a land where basically they were giving all the land away for free because they just wanted you to populate it, they wanted you to settle it, and they just wanted you to, you know, produce on it and create something on it. So what better incentive to get people to come over than to just say, you know what, you can do whatever you want. It's self-governance, you know. You do whatever you want to do. Nobody's going to interfere with your right to expand west and develop your communities and form your churches and have whatever beliefs you want to have, and nobody's going to persecute you and prosecute you for your beliefs. So it's a wonderful concept. So that's all I'm trying to keep promoting is the immigrant spirit that made this nation what it is today. And you guys are just forgetting about it because some society, the Boy Scout Society, the Parliament Society, the Legal Society, got a strong foothold and is trying to convince you otherwise of what your grandparents and your parents knew. And I'm just going old school with you guys. That's all I'm doing, just telling you why the Americas were founded and why we are who we are. Border collie acts like a border collie. 
you act like your grandparents. Your grandparents came over here because they had the fighting spirit or the explorer spirit. You have it too. That border collie, you could put him in a condominium, you could put him in an apartment, but the minute that you let him see green grass and fresh air, he's gone. And that's all I'm doing to you people. I'm just trying to show you green grass and fresh air, and you're gone, and you're away from this legal system. You're gone. You're out of it. No more. Thank you. If I need to go back to the apartment, I know where home is. You can go back, or you can go forward. Now, which way would you like to go? But either way, it's just free will. Which way would you like to go? Okay, Barack Obama is the chief executive president. He's the daddy. And he could do whatever necessary and proper to other U.S. citizens, which means he could kill you. Like they were having this discussion whether or not they could fly drones over uh, other countries and possibly uh, attack U.S. citizens. And they were like, yeah, we're okay with that because they're our citizens. We can kill them. We can't kill French citizens. We can't kill members of the English families. We can't kill members of the French families. But we can kill United States citizens. That's okay because daddy knows best. And if daddy says, baby must die, who are we? Because we know daddy loves his babies, and daddy would be crazy to kill his babies because his babies are going to provide and protect and take care of daddy when daddy hits to be grandpa age. He's going to have to rely upon his children. So why would daddy kill his children unless he believed it was necessary and proper? Necessary and proper means you don't have to explain your actions to anybody. That's exactly what it literally means. So Barack Obama doesn't explain his actions to anybody. If you're a U.S. citizen, he can do as he wills. So that's why it's very dangerous. When you choose your family, choose it wisely. And this the same thing with uh, this Charles and uh, this other guy, Merrill was trying to say, who are you to go into their court and tell them that they're not proceeding in a proper manner? The Boy Scouts would say, you're trying to tell us, the Boy Scouts, that now we're not abiding to a Boy Scout code or the Boy Scout motto or the Boy Scout creed. You're trying to tell us we're not in compliance with the Boy Scout Constitution? Are you some sort of Boy Scout Constitution expert? Are you part of our Boy Scout society? You know, what part of uh, accreditations do you have to prove that you're a Boy Scout and we should listen to? It's like, well, I'm not a Boy Scout. So then the Boy Scouts will say to you, why should we listen to you? And that's what the legal people are saying to you guys. Why should we listen to you? Do you have any kind of interpretation, certifications, or accreditations that you could certify and bring before this court that you are competent in constitutional law Maritime law, commercial law. No, you don't. You know what? We don't have time in our court to care what your interpretations of the rules are. Just like we were playing a game of basketball and you're not a member of the NBA. And the NBA will say, no, 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 these are the rules. Well, where we play back home, we play ring around the horseshoe. Well, what's ring around the horseshoe? Well, everybody gets three shots. It's like, wait a second. That's not how we proceed in the NBA. You know, you could play in your court your way, but this is an NBA court. You're going to play under our rules. Well, I don't think you're in compliance with your own rules. Well, you know what? We're NBA officials. Thanks for your freaking opinion. But you know what? We really don't care. And that's what they're telling you. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.